0: Hi, my name is Sarah, and I live in Central California. Hi, my name is Matthew Ferguson I'm from Tulsa, Oklahoma.
1: Hi, North. this is Gabrielle from Atlanta. Hi, my name is Minahil. I'm 17 years old from Pakistan.
2: Hi, North. this is Mark in Seattle, Washington.
1: Hey, so this message comes from Amsterdam, the Netherlands.
0: Hi, my name is Jennifer. I live in Washington state. Hi Noor,
3: my name is Gabby. I live in Philadelphia. Hi
4: Noor, this is Courtney
3: from Los Angeles, California. I actually used to live in Louisville, Kentucky,
5: and I found this really surprising. I was not at all aware of human
6: trafficking. While I lived there, I know as a medical assistant myself, On more than one occasion, I was the one that saw the signs before my physician even had a chance to go into the room. That was only because I, myself, am a survivor and knew the signs very well. And I was able to point them out to my physician.
7: I have paid for sexual services. You know, I still have very mixed feelings about it. I don't think it's a thing I'll do again, but I can't say for sure. You like to see things as black and white, and that's all. We like
6: write something like wrong, but what we always choose to ignore is those million shades of right in between. I think back to when my abusive boyfriend, who I thought loved me, introduced me to this older white dude, and he told me that he has a lot of money, and I was just so naive to the concept that he wanted me to get that money from him.
1: Hi everyone, it's Nor here again. I want to thank you all for sending in your messages. I've listened intently and I've learned from so many of your stories. When we said we wanted to pass the mic, we meant it. And what we've received from all of you is beyond what we could have ever expected. Every single time we listened to one of your stories, we realized time and time again how the issues we talked about this season affect all of us. One way or another. This time, instead of taking you on my personal journey, I want to go hand in hand with you on our collective journey through Sold in America Season 1. I started out on this journey reflecting on why I so badly wanted to report on the sex trade in the first place. And it was hard, but many of you listening to the podcast also started listening because of your own personal experiences. Hi, Noor. Rachel here. I have learned so much
6: about the sex work industry and actually about myself. I truly did not even identify that I had been sex trafficked until listening to your podcast. It's had me think back on a lot of what I went through, and I was so naive and so sheltered. I think back to when my abusive boyfriend, who I thought loved me, introduced me to this older white dude, and he told me that he has a lot of money. And I remember honestly thinking, okay, cool, good for him. Like, why would you be telling me that he has a lot of money? And I was just so naive to the concept that he wanted me to get that money from him, He put me in a lot of situations that I wasn't comfortable with and expected me to come home with money, whether I actually had sexual interactions with this person or not. He was upset with me if I did not come home with money. And when I did come home with money, he would take all of it. And I never thought that I was a prostitute. I never thought that I was an escort. I truly was in such denial.
3: Hi, Noir. Uh, my sex work name is Sophie. I'm from a northern New England area, and you know, my relationship with sex work is very twofold. It initially started with my sex compulsion and um, discovered sex work kind of accidentally through a casual encounter section on Christmas with a man looking to tutor a woman. Um, and he, instead of S's in his ad, he uses dollar signs. And, Caught on to what that, and, you know, I've never really done a ton of drugs. I'm pretty similar and clean, but that was the best high of my life, giving a blowjob and getting, like, a kind of $60, and I was thrilled. I can just picture that feeling, and it feels good. But as I got older, it became more about the other fold of this is, as Bruce Springsteen said in Atlantic City, I have bills that no one man can pay, and a big part of it is student loan debt. I do a college degree in human services, and I work at a nonprofit um, helping people. And I have a very good girl persona. I just can't pay my student loan debt, and I can't pay credit card debt that I've racked up over the years. Anyways, now I'm thirty, and I'm trying to get my act together and in some ways, I do, but then I look at all this debt and I, I just can't. I can't do it with my current job. I can't, even if I got a huge promotion or left my agency for a different, you know, like a state agency, like it'd be very challenging. And it just brings me back to what one of your guests said is that they want to just eliminate the demand, you know, with all that going men. You can't eliminate the demand for sex. I mean, this is the oldest profession for a reason. It's, sex is unnecessary thing. I hope this continues to be a major discussion on a national
8: way. Thank you, Tara. Bye. So my experience, um, isn't actually about me. It's about my mom. Um, so we grew up in San Diego, California. I live in London now, but, um, but anyway, so growing up with my mom, um, from I mean, from as long as I could remember, I knew that she was on drugs, and I knew um, kind of what was going on. I guess, and it's not that I thought it was okay. It's just that it kind of became our normal. I came to terms with the fact that my mother would go to the extent of exchanging sexual acts and sexual. Um, you know, behaviors, I guess, in our home, uh, for drugs because she couldn't afford it anymore. Um, there was an incident where, um, I came home from school. We were living in like a duplex sort of thing. And I, I came in the house, you know, and I was looking for my mom. There was like soap operas on TV as usual. (laughs) And, um, I went to her room and the door was cracked And she was passed out um, on the bed with her underwear around her ankles, clothes ripped, top ripped open, um, rest of the clothes on the ground. Um, And at the time, I didn't really understand what that meant. And in the moment, like, all I thought was, I think, you know, my mom's taken something, let me try and wake her up. Um, I never thought that it meant something else um, or her being violated in any way. I just thought, you know, she was just passed out, you know, as she was a lot of the time. Um, I think the biggest takeaway for, for me is I'm so amazed that, you know, in that time frame and over those years that we lived in those conditions that, something didn't happen to me, or it didn't happen to my sister. And it just goes to show the lengths that people will go when it comes to addiction.
9: I'm a retired pediatrician who practiced general pediatrics for 10 years and pediatric ICU for 30. I have seen firsthand the devastation and unintended consequences of governments and government officials, destroying hundreds of thousands of lives by believing they are helping In reality, the ones that are trying to, quote, save are few in number compared to the multitude they destroy. As you saw in one of your podcasts, one woman with a sad story can lead to laws and beliefs that are nothing but hurtful uh, and destroy the many. I saw the black community and the Hispanic community totally changed during my 40 years as a pediatrician. They went from uh, uh, very family-oriented and uh, close-knit to being destroyed by uh, government programs and uh, then even worse, the war on uh, drugs.
1: When I interviewed the man in Seattle who was arrested for buying sex and he shared personal details about how he was trying to fix his marriage today, I kept thinking to myself, there are going to be people listening to this podcast who are going through similar situations, whether in his position or in the partner's position. And I was so touched when we received messages from people going through those experiences.
4: Nor, I'm not sure how to tell you that I've now listened to the Buyer's Club three times because I am that like on the other end, supporting my husband through his rehab, essentially, from sex addiction, and he was arrested Ah, uh, an undercover cop, was a prostitute um, in another county when I got the call that he was in jail, and it hit so close to home, and I want to be that voice for women who do stand by the men that look like normal in society, guys, they become society's norms,
10: um, to disrespect, to separate lives, compulsive behavior.
7: I have paid for sexual services, um, never in the United States, uh, mainly because, uh, a mix of, of, feeling like it's wrong to do it in a place where it's illegal and, uh, a fear, you know, fear of being arrested, fear of being robbed. Um, and I want to say thank you for your series, uh, you know, I still have very mixed feelings about it. I don't think it's a thing I'll do again, but I can't say for sure. Um, it was at a time when I thought I'd really never have uh, sex with a, oh, you know, a, a normal partner again. And so it seemed to me like something that, you know, if I went to a country where it was legal or decriminalized, uh, wouldn't be so bad. And... You know, I go back and forth thinking, did I exploit someone? Did I, you know, use money to do something that somebody basically didn't want to do? So yeah, I still have mixed feelings about it. Even as somebody who's participated, it's it's a, it's an interesting topic, and and I go back and forth all the time.
4: It's been a year now since I found out uh, I'm a wife of a recovering sex addict Um, my husband was living two lives um, and part of this in a way because of prostitution and when this happened it was a hit to my heart and and looking at my children and knowing my husband has done these things as a good human and the last year has been a lot for him and he's, he's completely a different person without hiding the shame and lies and it's just so common in our society in locker rooms where he grew up in and then now in the sales industry and how men pay for sex and have affairs and do all of this and, and
1: society has made it so normal and of course, the most important part of this has been the journey of gaining perspective and a new understanding on such a tough issue. That's coming up after the break. At the beginning of the season, I asked all of you to keep an open mind. And based on all of your feedback and messages, you did. Because the one thing that we've heard from you since day one until today is how this podcast has completely changed your perspective on the sex trade.
2: I think that prosecution among adults should be decriminalized. Like, that's my personal starting point. Because... Of similar ideas to what Maggie said, I don't think that selling sex is inherently morally wrong. It also seems demeaning and patronizing to treat adults as not able to decide how to use their bodies. However, I was pretty struck by the attitude of the educator and the prosecutor that you talk to. I mean, I thought it was a bit extreme to say, like, consent is not possible when there's money changing hands. But I did not find these men to be disrespecting of women's intelligence or anything like that. Whereas when you talk to Maggie... I mean, a lot of stuff now you said resonated with me, but what did not resonate with me was her characterization of her opponent's views. I felt that she did not have a nuanced understanding of her opponent.
10: Hi, Nord. My name is Simone, Simone Finn. Um I'm a 43-year-old white female, um, highly educated consider myself liberal, I was a little triggered by the last show about um, when uh, Maggie McNeil was speaking as what I perceive to be a very privileged, educated white woman speaking to whether prostitution is exploitive or not. I think that if somewhere down the middle, I agree with the gentleman that were working towards changing the culture behind how men's attitudes towards women. I actually believe that prostitution should be legal and highly regulated. I think that, um, but to blanket, throw throw a blanket on the fact that uh, prostitution is just like this empowered female expression, when we know we see these massage parlors that pop up where it's really trafficked women from Asia being forced to pay off their, you know, uh, immigration bills or their sponsors by, by being prostitutes, we see children. We know that there are underground kind of brothels that aren't, you know, working like that. We just, it, it, just, it, just, it just reeked to me of like, and I can say this as I feel a liberal white privileged woman. It reeked to me of liberal white privilege, Maggie McNeil's attitude, blanket attitude about it. I understand that women, two adults doing something consensual, whether or not they're exchanging money, is really their own business. But I think that she was in a very privileged position to be able to make that call uh, for everyone. After
4: hearing all the episodes so far, I feel like the most important thing I took away from it is if a sex worker is saying that they're exploited in any way, If they say they're trafficked or if they were violated during their agreement, they should be listened to, and they should be supported, and they should have the right of a person who is working a regular job. I think the idea of having a brothel is complicated, especially in the case that you've interviewed, the Bunny Ranch. That person definitely was exploitative. And I think the idea of having a man on a brothel of all women is wrong. Um, some, I mean, it doesn't always have to be wrong, but the way he did it was wrong because he's sleeping with his employee and he's taking half the money. Um, that doesn't sound fair to me.
1: Um,
0: my name is Flannery and I'm calling from Washington, D.C. I love all of the episodes and especially number five. Um, I actually used to live on that block, the block right by Black Boys and Pearls. Um, and from the South, and so I knew that sex workers were definitely a thing and existed and could be found in certain areas of my own hometown. But I was really surprised to see the intersection of walking home from work, walking home from K Street, and then suddenly I'm on a block where there's many sex workers, and it's almost as if they're invisible, but everyone knew they were there.
4: I wanted to respond to your request, getting thoughts about decriminalization in D.C., uh, I personally am supportive of that as well as other decriminalization of activities that are otherwise underground. Uh, we just returned from a week in Amsterdam where we spent a lot of time talking to the locals about prostitution and marijuana and other activities that are legal there that aren't necessarily legal in most of the other world. And there's a lot of actually net net benefits that come as a result of bringing these sorts of activities out from the underground. Um, in Amsterdam, they actually saw a decrease in violence against women overall as a result of uh, legalizing prostitution. So when you think about it, if uh, somebody is wanting to engage in a sexual activity, uh, he or she doesn't need to, you know, maybe take out a violent activity on an innocent bystander, there are legal options for them to sort of fulfill that desire that they have. Um, another thing, as they put it, is it's a way to keep an eye on the industry. So, just as we were talking about, uh, in D.C., you know, if there is a violent offender or a violent client, you know, the police can be informed about that, you know, action can be taken against that person without worry of recourse. Hi, Nora. Okay,
0: so, I just listened to the Survival Sex Podcast
8: episode,
10: and my initial reaction, on Leia's story is, or even the whole decrim loop that she's trying to push for. I see the sensibility, I see why it makes sense. Um, honestly, I personally think that if you take out the moral, anything moral related um, to the sex work profession, and think of it as just, like, someone going for a nice job. Hi, Noor. This is
5: Amy. Sex workers are not pariahs and they're not, um, you know, they should not be made to feel less than in this country.
0: Your podcast has really got my mind running because um, this this tragedy with sex work, which is sort of what it is, is, is an intersection of so many issues in our world right now. Like, we see the failures of our system in so many ways like come to light just with this singular issue. Like, we see the failures of capitalism, for example. Like, the fact that so many women feel like they have no choice but to hit the streets is because and only because we have to pay to survive. And that is the singular feeling of capitalism, in my view, is that it makes it so that we are all paved to this system where if we don't make money, we can't eat and have a food and have a roof over our head and live a normal life. And so many women, and so many women, end up hitting the streets because they feel like they have no other choice. Um, and then we see the failures of how our societies use sex because it's so stigmatized that it's so it's so stigmatized it's hard to talk about in the like public stratosphere. Like you can see how awkward it is when like in the recordings of in your podcast of activists speaking in D C for example, like it people become awkward in these situations where we're talking about sex. Like it's this dirty thing I
5: just finished listening to um, Survival Sex, and it's really touched me in a lot of ways. I have never done sex work, but I know people who have and how it's affected their lives. Um, I currently work at a nonprofit that services homeless and near-homeless families and individuals through offering resources such as job skills, um, we have a shelter, and childcare, and so, so much more. but my thoughts about this are uh, not only do I firmly believe in the decriminalization of sex work, in a lot of ways, I, I think it would make sex work safer. It would make our community safer. Um, it would get women out of out of the hands of dangerous men um, and hence And that I just really firmly believe it would do a lot of good. But I also think that. Um, Beyond just decriminalizing sex work, we have to think about the life of these women or children or uh, who men, trans, you know, any person who is training sex to survive. Most likely they are homeless or near homeless, um, and we need to also think about how we can help them escape that.
1: Hearing all of these stories matters. When there are so many injustices going on in the world, there is always something you can do to be a part of the change, even on a personal level. And you let us know. We've gotten thousands and thousands of messages from medical professionals to policymakers to lawyers to activists, students, and lots from survivors of sexual violence. I want to genuinely thank you for listening so carefully and so intently to every episode in season one, even when it was really hard to do. And I want to thank the people who opened up to us about how hard it was to listen sometimes, but why they felt it was so important to do so. We couldn't have possibly included all of the voicemails you sent to us, but we heard every single one and we were completely moved. These stories are impossible to tell without you all and we will always keep that in mind for what is to come. So stay tuned, stay subscribed, and we'll keep you posted. Ditcher.
11: You can think of household name episodes as lifelines when you're stuck in a boring conversation. Need to change the subject? Tell them the secrets behind Victoria's secret. Or how a single lie turned KFC into a Japanese Christmas tradition. It was lie. No. But, uh, <laughs> I still regret that. Did you know Panera opened cafes where customers could pay whatever they wanted? That before it was a hippie car, the VW Beetle was created by Nazis. Hitler
10: built a city for the Beetle? <laughs> like the hippie Beetle?
11: <laughs> you can talk about how LaCroix, Crocs, Carhartt, and Canada Goose all became surprisingly cool. And wow your friends with stories of TGI Friday's wild early days as one of the first singles bars.
6: I'd be standing at the bar on Fridays and say, hi, darling, I own this place. i it seemed to work.
11: I'm Dan Bobkoff and I host Household Name from Business Insider and Stitcher. We make this show so you have something to talk about. Subscribe to Household Name for surprising stories about famous brands. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Household Name. Brands you know, stories you don't.